And we're going to continue with our third message in the sermon series, The Coming of the Lord. Uh, this uh, uh, passage, excuse me, this sermon is titled, Walk in a Worthy Manner. And this is 1 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. 1 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is God's word. Well, you never know how much your life is going to impact another life. I thought uh, this week about uh, a, a friend of mine, or I haven't talked to him for quite some time. His name was Jeff Mucko. Interesting last name. Jeff Mucko. I was 16 years old. I was working at Irving's Sporting Goods up in Northern Virginia. And Jeff Mucko, who was a college student, started to work there as well. The thing that was interesting about Jeff was he was a follower of Jesus Christ. I had not grown up in the church, so I was not a follower of Jesus Christ and really did not think very highly of Christians. But Jeff was a tennis player. He was playing at Concordia College. I wanted to play tennis in college, and so we spent time, and we would go out and hit together, and Jeff would tell me about this person called Jesus. And I would have disregarded it, but the more I saw his life, the way he lived, the way he loved, it made Jesus intriguing to me. Indeed, as I look back upon my spiritual life, I became a Christian at age 18. I think it was uh, really sort of the deciding point for me was when Jeff selflessly chose to work a double shift for me at work. Something so small, yet it was a tipping point, if you will. Jeff Mucko was a life bringer to the world. Just like Jesus Christ who came to bring life, Jeff, who was a follower of Jesus, was a life bringer. He brought the gospel to me, and that brought life into my life, and everything has changed. In fact, the very reason uh, that you're hearing me preach this gospel is because of my life being changed because of his life. And this passage is all about bringing life, that we are meant to be life bringers to the world. That's what we were intended for, and that's what we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ to be. And so how can we be life bringers to the world? See, when you are surrendered to Jesus Christ, when you live a surrendered life to Jesus, you cannot help but be a life bringer to the world. We're going to look at three specific points. Number one, what's the motivation that we have in Christ to be a life bringer to the world? Number two, how do we live as a life bringer to the world? And finally, number three, how do we love others as a life bringer to the world? So let's begin with point number one, the motivation to be a life bringer. Verse nine says it this way, for you remember, he's speaking to the church, to the brothers at Thessalonia, brothers, our labor and toil that we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Now, whenever you see the word for, which is at the beginning of this sentence, for you remember, brothers, you always look what happened before. And before, in verse 8, 
Paul says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Paul and the uh, disciples, they loved these people at the church at uh, Thessalonia, which is quite amazing when you hear what they came from. At Philippi, where they had just come from, they had been treated shamefully, as he said. They had been beaten with rods. They had been thrown in prison. There was really very, very few people that had come to their aid. And they had left uh, in a hurry. And they had come directly from Philippi to Thessalonica. And there were no guarantees of how they were going to be received by anyone. And yet we see that there was a purity of conduct toward them. There was no bitterness. There was no defense. There was an openness to share their lives as they shared the gospel with these people. And I scratch my head and I wonder, how is that possible? Why weren't they cynical and jaded and guarded, but instead they were open and loving and caring and hopeful? I think the reason is found in verse 12, where it says, We exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. See, these disciples had been called into a new kingdom. They had been called into glory, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, who are writing this letter. They're now following a different master, a different king, and living for a different kingdom. And that's what's giving them this love and this boldness to share the gospel. Now, when you think of the kingdom of God, probably the most famous passage about the kingdom of God is Matthew 6, 30, uh, Matthew 6 and we all know Matthew 6.33, or some of us do, where it says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Now, as you're reading about the kingdom of God in Matthew 6, there are several themes that come up. The first is about treasure. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where they will not be destroyed. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, they have put their treasure in the kingdom of God. And we all of us need to find a place to put our treasure. And what is our treasure but our hopes, our dreams, our heart, our hopes, that there's more to this life than simply living and it ends after a certain number of years. Now, treasure has to be placed somewhere, and these men have placed their treasure in the kingdom of God, and they're reaping the dividends of it. Jesus goes on in Matthew 6, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What Jesus is saying is where you put your treasure, whatever kingdom you follow, will either give you eyes that will give you vision to see or will plunge you into blindness. These apostles have placed their hopes in the kingdom of God, and it's given the ability to see, to see with hope, to see with love, to see with care. That's how they're not ending up being jaded and cynical and giving up, but rather they're giving their hearts to people 
because this kingdom has given them the ability to truly see, to truly understand, to truly think. Finally, in verse 24 of Matthew 6, before that famous, but seek first the kingdom, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and things, God and mammon. What Jesus is saying is that all of us have a master. All of us are looking for someone to give our life to. It's called the kingdom of God, isn't it? It's not just a a kingdom, a special place. It's a place where God is king. And so we are continually, whether we admit it or not, placing ourselves under a kingdom of something. Because a kingdom is simply where someone is the king. Where it's the kingdom of God. Or you may worship and follow the kingdom of things. You could put kingdom of blank and you could fill all sorts of things in it. If you give your life and your hopes and your trust for fulfillment from your children, then you worship and follow the kingdom of your children or the kingdom of your spouse or the kingdom of lust or the kingdom of reputation, you name it. These men have decided to follow the king. Uh, to enter the kingdom of God and to follow the king who is God the Father and his son Jesus Christ. If you'll notice these three places, treasure really speaks to your heart. Your eyes really speak to your mind. And your master really speaks to your will. In other words, their heart, mind, and will are devoted to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. You know, the disciples are just like you and me. You and me. They were trying to find a place of fulfillment, a home that they really belonged, and they were failing. They were normal people, scandalous people even. Simon the Zealot, who was dedicated to the overthrow of the Romans. He was an insurrectionist. He was a guerrilla warfare guy. And he found the kingdom of God. Matthew, the tax collector, who had sold out his own people to get rich. He was looking for the right kingdom and failing. And then Jesus came. And Jesus said, follow me. Notice in verse 12, it says that it is God who calls you into his own kingdom. It's not us who find the kingdom. It's God who finds us and invites us into the kingdom. To become a Christian, to follow Jesus is a privilege. You must be called. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. The beauty of the gospel is that it's going forth right now as I proclaim it to you. The gospel is an invitation and a summons to each one of you who have the privilege of hearing it today. Jesus not only called them into the kingdom, he purchased them with his blood. Hebrews 9.15 puts it this way. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins that they committed under the first covenant. It was Jesus that called and Jesus who purchased. He purchased through his blood shed on a cross at great pain and suffering 
and abandonment by his heavenly father. He purchased us. He was the ransom. And he promises us, as it says here, an eternal inheritance. We have a future if you are a Christian. A glorious kingdom. And glory, as it says, kingdom and glory. I love 1 Corinthians 2.9 that says, However, as is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. I don't know if you like going to the movies or uh, watching the movies here, as it were, at your home now, but you see a very interesting theme in the movies, and that's that everybody wants to be someone special, right? Isn't that what superhero movies are all about? A normal person, and then something happens to them, and all of a sudden, they're special. They have a superpower. Even movies about normal people are about them having some special ability. Think of the movie Goodwill Hunting, in which Matt Damon was sort of this, uh, you know, sort of low-life guy out of Boston, but he happened to have an IQ of one bazillion or whatever it was. And that made him special. See, we don't like watching movies about normal people. We want to watch movies about special people. And why is that? Because deep down in our hearts of heart, heart of hearts, we hope that we're special. We hope that we're glorious. But the reality and the truth is this. Only one can make us glorious. It's the one who made us. Only one can issue a verdict of glorious on somebody's life. It's the one who made us. And it's the one who redeemed us, Jesus Christ. These apostles have put their trust and hope. And that is the motivation in their life to be life bringers, regardless of what anyone else says. They are about Jesus' business. Are you? See, we can only put our treasure in one place. We can only serve one master. The disciples have chosen. So have you. Because whatever it is that you trust in will motivate your life. You look at your motivations to know who your master is. Is the motivation of my life greed? Then money is your master. Is the motivation of your life lust? Then sex is your master. But if your motivation is Jesus Christ, then what he's about is your master. This brings me to my second point. How do we live as a life bringer? Quite clearly, the motivation is important because it drove Paul and Silas and Timothy to go and to bring the gospel to these people. Notice what it says in verse 12, that the exhortation is to walk in a manner worthy of God. This is what he's telling these new believers, which is precisely what the disciples are doing and have been doing there at that city. Verse 10 says, you are witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct to you believers. In other words, he's saying you could see this plain as day, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct. You are witnesses. This is who we are. It's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? It seems like bragging. 
But who was it in Muhammad Ali? It ain't bragging if it's the truth. They're not bragging about themselves because they're living for a, another king, for Jesus Christ. But their living among them was holy, meaning it was set apart. It was different than everyone else. It was righteous, meaning in the midst of all of the sin and all of the pagan idolatry of that city, they were living righteous lives in accordance with God's commandments and blameless. Think blameless in the sense of they weren't trying to take advantage of these people for their own greed and their own gain. Now, does this mean that they were sinless? No, clearly not. Paul never says that. Indeed, he says that they still sin. But he's talking about the vector of their life, if you will. A holy, righteous, and blameless life as they live out the motivation of the gospel. Now, this was not the way that they used to live before Christ called them. Or you and I live before Christ called us, if indeed you have begun to follow Jesus. Ephesians 2.1 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The direction of our life used to be following not God, but following Satan. And we lived in the passions of our flesh as we followed the ways of the world. See, it was all about gratifying the, the passions of our flesh. It was all about me, my desires, my thoughts, to the detriment of anyone else out there, most of all God, because I was God. Of course, that was a lie. I was a slave to Satan, and I didn't even realize it. But now these believers, excuse me, these disciples, uh, these apostles, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, are walking like their master, Jesus Christ. Jesus, who always obeyed his father's commands. Remember how Jesus said, my father always listens to me, because I always do what pleases him. Jesus demonstrated a purity of heart in the midst of a world surrounded with lust. Jesus demonstrated love for your enemies, even when there was tremendous hatred toward him. Jesus lived a life free of idols. And so these disciples, these apostles, are walking in step with their master, Jesus Christ. And the way that they're obeying is being manifested in their relationships with the Thessalonians. Notice how he says, notice how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Toward you believers. Love needs an object. Whether it's God or it's people. All the commands of God are oriented toward God or to people. Verse 9 says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, that we worked day and night, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. These people were, uh, the apostles, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, were engaged in trade. They were working on their own as tent makers because they did not want to 
ask for money. They did not want to do anything that might take away from these people hearing the gospel. And so they'd work hard, and then they'd spend the rest of that time preaching the gospel. And of course they were exhausted. And of course they were tired. But love costs. And they were willing to pay. Because Jesus had paid for them. That Jesus had given the gift to them freely. The gift of salvation, though it was not free for, that, for him. See, my friends, we cannot separate our heart from our hands. When you look at the fruit of the tree, it tells you what kind of tree it is. And so we must examine ourselves. Am I different from the world? Is it all about me, me, me? Or is it about him? Because my actions are the proof of who I am, not the determiner of who I am. What's my conduct toward people? Is it holy? Is it righteous? And is it blameless? Or do I seem to always be in conflict and always have enemies and there's strife and anger? To be sure, there will be relationships where there's Stress, I'm not saying that. And there will be people that simply don't like you. But hopefully it's because you're following Jesus Christ and you love him. But you're manifesting holy, righteous, and blameless conduct. See, being a life bearer begins with who I am. I cannot separate the message from the messenger. As Jeff Mucko, his life and the way that he lived communicated to me. So the way that you live will ultimately be the best communicator of the gospel. And a life surrendered to Jesus Christ cannot help but bring life to others. That brings me to my next point, loving as a life bringer. What is the highest form of love that we can give someone? The answer, of course, is to give them Jesus. And that's exactly what Jeff Mucko did for me in my life. He gave me Jesus. He shared Christ with me. And it's his life and the gospel that produced a miracle in my life. And so the apostles are saying to this church that we encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What is the gospel that you and I are preaching? Is it a system of belief? Or is it a master who calls us to follow him and to give up everything? The truth is Christianity is so watered down in America. But the reality is everybody is looking for someone who is worthy to give all of their lives and all of their hearts and all of their possessions to. Life change comes from surrender. And we have the opportunity to bring this message to people. As Paul and Silvanus and Timothy did to that church, it's the same thing for you and me, with those around me, my neighbor, my coworker, my spouse, my extended family. But make sure to give them the good stuff. See, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy loved them enough 
that they were willing to experience alienation and anger and frustration by bringing them the true gospel. Because they knew that the highest form of love is to bring the gospel. That's exactly what they did. I'm going to finish up with a trivia question. How many grooves are on a record? And I'm not talking about funky beats. Now, some of you may be saying, what the heck is a record, Carlos? I'm talking about those big vinyl black records. Remember the 33s? It's got all of those circles around them. How many grooves are on a record? You might say 10,000. You might say 5,000. The answer is one. Or two, actually, if they're two sides. Because all of those grooves are actually a spiral. Think about it. It makes perfect sense, right? When the, the record starts with every turn, it is slightly moving forward again and again and again. It's one groove that has been set in the record. And the reality is the groove in my life was started and set by Jeff Mucko in my life. And somebody set it in his life as he came before. And so on, and so on, and so on. All the way back to the Thessalonians, back to the apostles, back to Jesus Christ himself. We have a great privilege and honor. God who has called you and me into his kingdom and glory who is calling us to surrender everything, our treasure to him, for him to be our master, is calling us to go out into the world and to live a life holy, blameless, and righteous in such a way that when we see someone and share the gospel, that they would say, I want a life like that. And the beauty of that is that can happen, that process. Whether we're meeting together on Sunday on Old Lynn Haven Road, or we're here. Even distance cannot separate love. It's a phone call. It's caring. It's sharing your life with someone. And being willing to give a reason for the hope that is within you. God has called us to more than simply to follow Jesus Christ ourselves. As glorious and beautiful as that is. God has called us not only to the greatest commandment but the greatest commission. To be a life bringer to the world. And if you choose to surrender your life. To give your life and to follow Jesus Christ. To give up everything else that you might have him. You cannot help. But also to be a life bringer as well. What the world needs. Is life. And life is in Jesus Christ. So let's live. Out our love that God has for us and we have for him in our relationships, building and bringing and creating new relationships as we share a reason for the hope within us. For if you follow Jesus Christ and walk in his ways, you cannot help but be a life bringer to the world. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that you called us through Jesus when we were lost and you gave us a new reason to live, a new master worth giving all of ourselves to. And you call us to bring, be life bringers in how we live in this world 
and how we love others. God, let us uh, see your truth and see your love so deeply that we cannot help but testify to what we have seen and heard. So we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.